0: Welcome back to The Me Suite, I'm Donna Peters. If you continue to love what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating and review. It really keeps us alive out here. Let's get in there. On today's episode of The Me Suite, I am interviewing somebody that is living deep in my most passionate area that I came to too late in my life, and that's neuroscience. Today, we have Azuri Collier, who is a biotech strategist. She is an expert in neuroscience and behavioral biology. She has a Ph.D. in cognitive neuroscience. And as if that was not enough... Azuri is also the national president and board chair of Women in Bio, which I understand is an organization with about 3,500 professionals. So just amazing talent here. Azuri, you're focusing your career and all of your time, treasure, and talents in an area where I have a personal passion. And so I'm really looking forward to learning from you today. You taught me this concept of balancing the planned versus the unplanned intuition versus insight, managing the unexpected, et cetera. Why did this topic come up? Why is that such a theme for you? And, and why do you teach and mentor on that? Yeah,
1: no, thank you so much. You know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to share, you know, I had my kind of typical, how did I get into science? <laughs> what do I do on this side of things as a biotech strategist and all those fun, fancy highlights? Mm-hmm. But I thought about it and I said, I I really had never told certain parts of my career journey as one story, as one package. Ah. And reflecting on, yeah, reflecting on those in-betweens or those oddities, the things that kind of stuck out. As I put it together, I thought those were actually really important moments that were hidden And as I think about this journey towards being more authentic, I would love to share some of those and really talk about how they influence where I am today.
0: Okay. This is amazing. Let's start in the Suite where we start with everyone and what are your core values? And I think we're going to start to see some themes pull through here.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When I think about my core values, you know, three things come top of mind, excellence, integrity, and grace. Wow. Excellence has always been there for me. Um, When I think about A young person always seeking to be the best and that wasn't in a competitive way with anyone else, but it was more around always identifying the next opportunity to learn more, Mm -hmm. to share more, to lead in a way that was better. And excellence has always been top of mind for me. From the integrity perspective, really understanding, and my parents would tell me this all the time, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm no better or worse than anyone else. Mm. Really consider each person as someone that you can support and love, quite frankly. And with integrity, really ensuring that my word is what I actually plan to do and trying to be authentic. And the last piece, grace, is something I've come to in the last five to seven years, because I really mm. didn't have it before or my go, go, go. But it's balancing that excellence with understanding that I won't know everything all the time the first time. Mm. And it's the beautiful journey of life to be able to be comfortable with a certain amount of uncertainty and know that failure, quote unquote, is okay. Mm. So giving and allowing the space and the grace to just acknowledge my humanity and know mm. that as I grow and learn, there's just going to be a world of things that are waiting for me
0: next. Wow. I love your list. I want to interview your parents. (laughs) They they sound like amazing people. I hope you share this episode with them after you gave them that little homage. It's beautiful. (laughs) Amazing. So... You had been teaching me these concepts of uh, what is really happening from a neuroscience perspective when we're living in the planned versus unplanned, the intuition versus insight, managing the unexpected. Why those themes? Why, why is that concept and that duality so a part of who you are and how you mentor and coach?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, too. As a researcher, when I was working on my Ph.D., it took me some time to really understand what I wanted to study. Mm. And quite frankly, studying cognitive neuroscience, which is basically mapping human behavior on the brain and studying problem solving, wasn't the largest component of our department. Mm. It was a smaller, more niche area. But what I found was my advisor had some really exciting language comprehension research Mm. that he then found some analogous relationships when it came to problem solving. So just to give some of the highlights, mm. if you think about solving a problem with a moment of insight, the, the all-famous "Aha moments, OK those moments are cognitively, biologically, very different from when you solve a problem more analytically. OK And interestingly enough, they're both biological, they're both chemical differences in how those regions interact to get you to that "Aha moment. One step even further is intuition, interestingly enough, has a biological correlate to insight. And what that actually means when you think about it from a research perspective is as you're pulling things that are remote together, Mm. things that are distantly related, things that are obtuse, as your brain pulls those together in a novel way, that's the core of an insight moment. Okay, Class of insight happens when you engage those distinct neural processes and you pull things together, remote things together in a way that you never had before. Okay. So I parallel that to my story, uh-huh. really thinking about the the untold side of it and where I really had some insight moments um, for the things that were unplanned and pulling them together in a way that are now very insightful. Okay. I can tell you a couple moments where I was fully unraveled. Uh And now looking back when those moments happen again, I'm able to appreciate that Mm. and ride the wave moving forward. So, you know, folks might think, why is she going back to an undergrad experience? She's in the middle of her career. But I'll tell you the first time I had a deep summer of sadness. Mm. I did not know what I wanted to do after undergrad. And why was this so meaningful? I was always top of my class, Mm. extracurricular this, leader that, went to a top university, double major, all the leadership things. I had my PhD applications complete with one exception. What? My personal statement. Oh. I could not write it. It sat on my desk for months. And it sat and sat and sat and uh, the deadlines passed. Wow. I avoided it completely because I didn't know my why at the time.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, Fast forward, graduation, all my friends have their medical school or law school acceptances and Mm -hmm. I have to go home. Mm -hmm. And I was crushed. Mm. completely crushed, and for the first time I'm sitting in this moment of always being focused high achieving and I didn't have a plan wow it completely unraveled it was really dark heaviness ah. and I had to sit in that okay I had this moment where I said you know let me get back on the saddle I applied for tons of positions I got an awesome policy role in Washington DC mm. was never on my radar at all and I spent that time in Washington, D.C., really seeing how scientists communicate at a government level. So really moving forward on science policy and driving that intersectionality. And now that was an incredibly positive experience that fully shaped me. Uh-huh. But in a moment, it was based on something wholly unplanned and completely unraveled. Okay. And even now, looking back, parts of what I do as I work to build global biotechnology economies Part of that is based on the policy element. Mm. So again, just kind of seeing how it kicked and tied across that part of my story is Mm. now really rewarding now to see.
0: I would not have thought you had a moment of uncertainty in your career trajectory because on paper, everything looks so intentional and deliberate. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, all of the leadership assessments that I've had along my career these days, they highlight um, focus, Mm. futuristic, Mm. sociability, recognition. So again, to your point, (laughs) seeming, you know, I I am typically that person who has it all outlined. Mm -hmm. Such that in the moments where it unravels, it can be deeply uncomfortable, except for the fact now that I've had a couple of those moments and I'm now able to ride that wave.
0: Yeah. Well, what have you learned as a neuroscientist about the the unplanned versus the planned. And now that you know what is happening in the brain, when we're going through that type of experience, what do you tell yourself when that's happening to you because you know the science behind what you're feeling?
1: I tell myself that it's all a part of the journey, right? Our Uh. brains are biologically based to either complete very serial direct tasks Mm -hmm. or complete tasks that are more diffuse, more coarse, more distantly related. We're able to process conscious and unconscious. We're able to process different types of problems. We're able to do so much, which honestly gives us insight into part of what our life experiences will be. Some parts of it will be direct and really planned. Other parts will be unplanned. Mm -hmm. But biologically, we've already been designed to be able to manage both of those experiences and quite frankly, a lot of ease where some of it is automatic and some of it is focused. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot about, you know, I I won't get all the science (laughs) on you and drop brain areas, but we have a really interesting part of our brain, which really toggles back and forth. It's called the anterior cingulate cortex. And the function of that piece of your brain Mm -hmm. is success. should I be more direct and focal? should I be more broadened and uh, remote? So we're we're already tooled and developed for many of the experiences that we'll have and our mm-hmm. minds are able to guide us in that way.
0: Is that where resilience comes from?
1: I love how you just brought that up. I'd love to think through that together. I hadn't thought of it, but now that I'm hearing your question, it makes a lot of sense because it says you have the biological set mm-hmm. and then you can put on the mindset to continue forward even though there might be resistance. I love that, Donna.
0: I do experience it a lot in my coaching practice because I'm always very sensitive to the fact that different people respond very differently to, for example, a layoff, or it's taking six months for me to find a new job, or I've been applying, but I'm not getting any responses. And I find so many different people respond so differently to those experiences. And I've always just been intellectually curious about what is happening in the brains of people when we are faced with that type of uncertainty, adversity, the pressure, the anxiety, and some people are just naturally more resistant. Well, are they naturally? I guess that's my question. (laughs) Some people appear to be more resilient than others.
1: Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. It's so complex when you think about it. I mean, part Mm. of it is how we approach the particular problem, mm-hmm. right? Each problem would have its own kind of conceptualization of what this means for the individual and what it means at that time. Mm-hmm. And then there's another piece, which is, you know, mood. There's such a huge correlation between emotions and mood in terms of what you bring to the decision at any time and how you perceive it. Ah. So it's really, really quite complex if you think about like real time decision making. But again, biologically speaking, you know, a lot of our work when we wanted to map human behavior to the brain. You can identify those pathways, those frameworks biologically, mm-hmm. and you can also analyze other components like personality traits, you know, different mood traits, which influence greatly your ability to make decisions or problem solve, depending on what's in front of you.
0: Yeah. So, Is there anything that you have learned in your uh, years of a, as a scientist that you want other people in the workplace to know? Like gosh if you only knew this thing that I know about the way the brain works this place would be better. Is there I can only imagine how you walk through the world because of the knowledge that you have. And I'm just wondering what you wish we knew and then it, the world would be a better place.
1: I love the question and I'll see if I answer it in a way <laughs> kind of how you're thinking. I I love the I love making research and science accessible to all populations. I don't uh-huh. think research should remain an ivory tower just Mm -hmm. for a select few. Mm. There is also sometimes things that are just pop science that make me want to scratch the chalk wall. Um, So that might be an example. And it's interesting too, because there's often kernels of truth in parts of it, like left brain, right brain, or Mm. there are often kernels of truth in that because there are noted hemispheric differences in how your different um, hemispheres respond and and what they do. Even Mm -hmm. so much part that we found research that the right hemisphere is, relatively speaking, more engaged with those insightful problem-solving moments just based on the biology again. So there are kernels of truth in what ends up being pop mm-hmm. science, but sometimes I wish that the pop science wouldn't be the leading mm. indication of how folks receive science. But, you know, I, I think that's just a broader societal question. Maybe more precise if I think about teams One thing that I'm happy is getting more traction in organizations is a broader mindset to think about different paths to answer different questions, right? Oftentimes in organizations, there can be leading dominant ways of thinking such that the other ways are crowded out. And I like the idea of one part of what the inclusivity research and support is bringing up now is. Bringing folks with different perspectives to the table, but also honoring that problem-solving journey. Mm-hmm. So I bring a unique perspective from myself and my experience to a problem-solving journey, mm-hmm. like my other colleagues would. And similar to the earlier point, bringing together those remote associations is where the insight grows. And so I'd love to, you know, have my organizations really be even more keen to understand that if we can collectively solve a problem with a really inclusive set of. Mm-hmm. People at the table that'll continue to drive insight and innovation, which is, of course, everything that we want.
0: So, what is happening from a neuroscience perspective when we hear diversity of thought?
1: In terms of organizations or biologically?
0: Biologically.
1: I think so. The one example, the closest example I can think about is language processing. Okay. So, part of how we process language is relating to our prior knowledge and making new concepts to move things forward. So if Mm. you think about an inference, the very first time you're looking at a sentence, it might be a missing word, or you might be having a conversation with someone and there is a piece of information missing. Mm. The way you process that information, if you're thinking about just kind of the more typical expected route is you're filling in some gap. Yeah. And you're already processing cognitively and using different brain areas to one process the literal meaning, Mm -hmm. but also start to realize that there's a gap of information somewhere. Mm -hmm. So your mind starts to think remote. It starts to acknowledge other possibilities of how to feel that piece of missing information. Mm -hmm. And it does that knowing that it needs to pull together information to fill in that gap. Mm -hmm. So inference processing is really related to insightful moments as well, because again, you're pulling together items that are more distant, and you're bringing them to bear for what you're immediately trying to solve. Mm-hmm. So that might be one example if we think about an analogous um, reference to language processing, which is, is similar.
0: So you've had a lot of changes in your career, you've taken these very meaningful you know, moments that matter in these changes. I've seen uh, some of your public speaking, you're a very intentional person. I like to think about intentionality as having some relation to neuroscience and what are we doing as a a professional athlete, a musician, a surgeon, when we visualize and join something with intentionality. Would you agree that you're a very intentional person? I would agree. Yes. So that's certainly been my experience. What is happening in our brains when we are showing up with intentionality at work?
1: If we consider intentionality being how I was understanding your question, mm-hmm. the ability to focus okay. and really pull together almost from an exe- we say executive functioning uh, scientists and researchers, and basically that means your highest order cognitive processes, mm-hmm. your decision making, your planning, your future projections. Yeah, those areas are literally right behind your forehead. They were the latest areas to evolve from an evolutionary psychology perspective, right? You have your limbic system, spider flight that keeps you alive. Then you have a cortex that developed around it to help you do more precise cognitive activities like perception and cognition and language. The executive portion of your mind is like literally right behind your forehead. And that gives us the ability to imagine, Mm -hmm. to project. When we think about intentionality, for me, that's honestly aligning where you are now to where you want to be in the future. Mm -hmm. So I can draw a comparison to imagination Mm -hmm. and I can also draw a projection to really forecasting, which again, is this prefrontal cortex area. Mm -hmm. Those questions are still really being determined. Mm -hmm. Right. And I really love how you are making the connection between being intentional at work and articulating what that looks like from a neural perspective. It's really cool. I'll follow up with you on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, I I think when when I have clients who call and say, uh, can you help me with imposter syndrome? Mm. Can you help me with executive presence? Can you help me with a conflict in a relationship I have at work that I really need to course correct? Or I'm not quite sure where I want my career to go. Can you help me explore the paths? Right. The answer to all of those things requires intentionality Mm -hmm. and focus. And so as i become just more and more interested in what's really happening in our brains when we do that that was where my my question was coming from it's just there's i believe there's, there's some of these things that we're more in control of than we're giving ourselves credit or at least find what we can control in the environment and control it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way i enter a room you know me taking the first step in a difficult relationship at work um you know the way the types of questions that i ask you as a problem solver right the types of questions that you ask are going to indicate the type of problem that you solve mm-hmm. so and i don't know i just um i just i think that that has when i go do my phd azuri <laughs> in, <laughs> in neuroscience because i've been inspired by you i, I wanted to be in this area
1: I love that. No, that is fascinating. And you've already articulated so many of the components that are real life instances that I think should be your first sets of research projects. Mm. Can we unpack imposter syndrome for just a moment? Please. There's so many layers to that. And I think it's important as well, as you consider connecting neuroscience to those sorts of things to ensure that there's clarity around the intersection of emotion and cognition, right? Perception, of course, is in the mind, it's in the brain. They're distinct cortices that process how you perceive sensory information and also mood, right? Our bodies are so dynamic. Mm -hmm. Our hormonal systems are activated and triggered by different parts of your uh, mind in concert to help you achieve what you need to achieve. Sometimes, and if I get on my two-second soapbox, my pop psychology soapbox, (laughs) I think we might underestimate the uh, emotional component of imposter syndrome and really just maybe misdiagnose part of that as anxiety. And we know that anxiety anecdotally impairs problem solving. Uh There are biological bases that show how if you're in too narrow of a focus, which is oftentimes generated by or a mood or high anxiety, Uh that limits your ability to problem solve. And particularly it limits your ability to problem solve creatively. Because again, you're in a more narrow focus Mm -hmm. and then that reduces your ability to pull together those remote associations, which is the core of how insight happens. So I just wanted to make that connection. Some folks might, if they feel like they're overwhelmed with anxiety or they feel like they're struggling with imposter syndrome, that Mm -hmm. very often could lead to lower ability to solve the problems in the moment. So you might have to unpack that relationship between for those folks
0: i wrote down summer of sadness that was a phrase that really resonated with me but i think we're going to end here more with what i'm going to call a summer of superpower because your episode will launch when it's getting kind of hot so it's going to be summerish uh so we're going to we're going to reposition summer of sadness to summer of superhero here with you azuri Nice. nice um have you given some thought to the sweetener it's an aspirational but practical advice that you would have for a listener, something that we could start doing differently on Monday. Yes. So in thinking about,
1: you know, planned and unplanned and, mm-hmm. and riding that wave, I'd say for the listeners something you can do on Monday. If you are in that space of unplanned uh-huh. and you're uncomfortable, I would encourage you just to take a couple of deep breaths and realize that you won't be uncomfortable forever. Mm. There is, seasonality and there is time to mature in certain different areas that you might not know you're actually maturing. So it's almost being comfortable with the uncomfortable. I know we hear that a lot and it's very hard. Mm-hmm. But acknowledging as we already talked about that we we do hard things all the time. Almost expect that it's going to be uncomfortable but give yourself grace mm-hmm. in the moment of discomfort to know that it won't last forever. And on the flip side of that, you'll be able to reflect and there's always a story. There's always a redemptive story where you can see what that moment meant mm. for you after it's over.
0: So it's been terrific to spend time with you uh, and to get into your brain a little bit. So thank you so much for sharing yourself with us in the Me Suite. This is Azuri Collier, everybody.
1: Thank you so much. It has been a sheer pleasure and I'm happy to get to share with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us in the me suite for more information about our executive and career coaching services. Check out the links in the show notes and remember your reviews really make a difference.